0: Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. Right now you're listening to Karen Wood, Visiting Instructor of Sociology at Benedictine College, speaking on the social construction of youth culture in America, how the roots and values of popular culture run counter to the new evangelization. This talk is part of the Society of Catholic Social Scientists series. One of the fastest growing fields of research within the discipline of sociology is the study of popular culture. Popular culture is defined in a number of ways, but it is fair to say that what distinguishes it from other similar forms of non-traditional culture, such as folk culture and low culture, is its consistent association with youth culture and with mass media. Produced by marketers, packaged by Hollywood, and voraciously consumed by young people, popular culture poses a major threat to the Catholic Church's call for the new evangelization. It does so by promoting individualism, secularism, and materialism, the very values outlined by Pope Benedict XVI in a homily given to the US bishops as the major challenges of our day. Using both structural and content analysis, this paper will explore aspects of individualism, secularism, And materialism as they are reflected in American popular culture, specifically in the social construction of American youth culture throughout the last century, as well as in their manifestations and implications for today's new evangelization. Individualism and secularism in the U.S. today could be seen as modern distortions of the American founding values of independence and freedom. For instance, independence, when left unbounded by solidarity, can morph into individualism. While similarly, freedom, if left untethered to truth, can morph into secularism. Such transmutations of values are not purely philosophical. A structural analysis of American society reveals the institutional context in which individualism, secularism and their counterpart, materialism, have grown. That context, specifically, of the structural expansion of society coincides directly with the development of American popular youth culture, such that its effects are more deeply experienced by young people. What's more, young Catholic Americans today seem particularly vulnerable to the influences of popular youth culture and its values because they lack the identity, catechesis, and Catholic culture that had been available to previous generations. This paper is an introduction to the structural changes that have led to the influence exerted by popular culture and, parenthetically, by the youth and media who drive it. From a structural functionalist point of view, popular American youth culture can be seen as the outcome of three movements in American society. First, the expansion of societal structures as they have adapted to the complexities of modern life, specifically in education, entertainment, and marketing. Second, the affluence that such expansion created that is, excess money and leisure. And third, the stretching of normative standards that inevitably follows such structural expansion, that is, the loosening of the moral fabric of society in the name of tolerance. Taken together, these three movements, structural complexity, affluence, normative expansion, have led to both the social construction of adolescence and the parallel construction of popular culture. The two developments have been so closely related, they can be considered a single phenomenon, namely popular youth culture. A cursory examination of American popular youth culture artifacts can easily reveal the American, quote, values of secular materialism and individualism. From over-the-top sexualized images of pop stars to Nike's famous Just Do It campaign, popular culture images are ripe with self-indulgence and boundary pushers. But these images would hardly be considered popular if not for America's obsession with youth. Growing older in our culture is not an indication of wisdom, but of uselessness and popular culture has done its share of poking fun at the elderly while deifying the youth. With the aid of popular culture, society has placed young people and their trends and fashion at the center of aspiration. Some of this is prompted by the rapid turnover of technology that is best understood by the current generation. But even without technology, Adults have been turning over the reins of style to young people at an increasing rate for the last century. From newly formed high schools and dance halls of the early 1900s, to the roaring 20s, to 1950s cruising and 1960s and 70s radicalism, to the 1990s digital revolution, to the wired millennials of today, teenagers have increased their influence on American culture at large and have claimed their right to control the direction and outcomes of popular culture in form and fashion. The tremendous power delegated to young people through the growth of popular culture represents another obstacle to the new evangelization, namely the usurping of traditional authority as teen peers and the media take on larger and larger roles in teen socialization. Such replacement of traditional authority by other social institutions is a major feature of secularization and part of any structural functional analysis of society. Secular institutions rise in functionality and importance as they take over roles traditionally held by religion and the family. The American and Americanizing high school is a case in point. Idealized in movies like Grease and High School Musical, glamorized by television shows like 90210 and Glee, the high school experience has been idolized as the pinnacle experience of every American. However, high school as a universal experience, like the social construction of adolescence itself, is less than 100 years old. A review of its history reveals the context in which American popular youth culture has grown. Just after the turn of the century, the youth peer group began to trump other reference groups, as exemplified by a 1922 flapper who claimed, we must keep pace with the rising, with the rapidly advancing and mighty tide of civilization. There is no one to turn to. No one but the rest of the youth, who is as perplexed and troubled with its problems as ourselves. What could have caused this mighty tide? What could lead to such perplexity? One answer is the precipitous avalanche of technology, movie houses, automobiles, and rapidly changing music that led to normative gaps, thus increasing the the possibility of anomie. The other answer is the structural shifts by which young people were increasingly separated in their activities through high schools and colleges. Separation, affluence, and technology converged and then erupted as a roaring force ready to take charge of the culture. Pop culture was born, and the adult world stood by as spectators, both in fascination and in terror. The mighty tide would ebb and flow over the next century. But curiously, adults would increasingly give in to its dominance in society, even, even helping pop culture along by embracing more separation, more affluence, and more technology with each generation. The shift of values from American independence toward individualism and materialism had begun, and America's response to this trend was an institutional one, Universal High School, which would eventually compete with the family and religion so as to set the stage for increased secularization. Shaken by the burgeoning pop culture of the Roaring Twenties, American society turned to Universal High School as a means of containing and training youth. It was an institution that would function to Americanize the next generation. But in the course of formalizing the assimilation process, American high schools also formed the basis of a separated teen youth culture that was unattainable before the turn of the 20th century. Essentially, universal high school created the physical, economic, and emotional space for young people to create their own culture. Since then, (coughs) high school as an institution has grown in influence, both in its financial hold upon communities and in the time it takes away from family life. Today, before-school practices and after-school activities can easily consume 10 hours or more of a young person's day, not including evening and weekend events. The primary agent of socialization and of evangelization, the family, finds itself competing for time in a complex, rationalized social structure. What's more, the physical removal of teens from their homes for long periods of the day carries with it the risk of usurping the traditional authority of parents As it had been understood for centuries. Whereas high schools began as supplemental agents of socialization, today it is often the parents who find themselves in a supplemental and often adversarial role, even turning to surveillance and policing tactics to monitor the teens with whom they spend so little time. Indeed, Just as Max Weber had theorized, one consequence of a rapidly expanding social structure is the increasing bureaucratization of the social institutions therein, even institutions that exist for the purpose of providing relationships. Lamenting the isolation and compartmentalization and rationalization um, imposed upon young people, one researcher laments. Teenagers spend much of their lives dealing with people who do not know them as individuals. This is similar to what you've been talking about. And under the control of institutions that strive to deal with people uniformly. Once they leave the house, they are at the mercy of a battery of bureaucracies. Chief among these are public high schools, junior high schools, and middle schools, all of which have become increasingly large and impersonal. Moreover, issues such as insurance liability and fear of sexual harassment charges have weakened relationships between adults and students. The result is that young people are leading increasingly structured lives with fewer and fewer adult role models. Churches are not exempt from this modern problem of compartmentalization of functionality. A recent comprehensive study of youth religiosity in the United States notes the structural disconnect from the adult world that many young people experience, saying that at the same time that many young people long for meaningful relationships with adults that could provide them with guidance, churches often respond not with relationships but with programs. What's more, these researchers found that the Catholic teenagers they studied as a whole were far weaker than their peers in measures of belief, experience, and practice. Weaknesses which appear to be related to both weakened parental faith and weakened institutional structures such as CCD and Catholic schooling. In short, teenagers in the U.S., and Catholic teenagers in particular, find themselves in a situation in which they must discover their own way. Structural isolation in an age of philosophical relativism easily gives way to therapeutic individualism, wherein, quote, the individual self becomes the source and standard of authentic moral knowledge and authority, and individual self-fulfillment becomes the preoccupying purpose of life. Subjective Personal experience becomes the touchstone of all that is authentic, right, and true. Teens in a postmodern world must create new ways of coping with postmodern woes. Quote, therapeutic experts, such as social workers and school counselors, have filled in the gaps left by uninvolved parents and churches. And these experts have sometimes encouraged teens to, quote, look within themselves for answers. Such subjectivism promotes both individualism and secularism by denying higher truths and usurping traditional authority. However, even more troubling than the institutionalized therapeutic individualism is the usurping of even this, therapeutic authority, by the technological mediation, and subtle bureaucratization of nearly all human interaction. The digital revolution has removed information filters and has compressed time and space so that young people are able to feel a simulated experience of quote the world at their fingertips The result has been an explosion of popular culture, now divulging itself to young people at an unprecedented rate, and threatening to replace the authority of therapeutic experts, which themselves were replacements for traditional authority. The power of popular culture is not bounded by the office hours and financial investment that bind social workers and school counselors. Popular culture is pervasive and cheap. It has a leveling effect upon social class, regional nuances, and even racial divisions. It is available to all and coupled with social media is the driving force in determining what is good and right for American youth. Along this path, what is authentic, beautiful, and true no longer have any value. They are rendered obsolete partly because of the American cult of self-esteem and partly because of the rapid-fire pace with which popular culture produces its varied images. The feeding frenzy for what is novel is itself a product of structural expansion in American society. As societies become more complex, they inevitably need to become more tolerant. That tolerance translates into an ever-expanding normative boundary. Art is one way for society's collective imagination to examine and even critique social boundaries. But in the case of popular culture, the focus is not an examination of boundaries, but often the annihilation of them. To be popular, the artist and the consumer must find each other in a soundbite, not in a conversation. The more outrageous the popular culture artifact, the more likely it is to get noticed in a sea of other artifacts. Trends move in and out with record speed so that marketers, entertainers, and gadgeteers alike all vie for the attention of young people with more intensity and greater shock than their predecessors. As a means of differentiating itself from the past, The youth of each generation embrace this shock as they long for the extreme in their entertainment and their music. The art itself becomes less important than the brand and the sensation that it stirs. Even Mick Jagger lamented the loss of his craft to the quote, teenage lust for the outrageous. In an age of guitar smashing and animal torture as performance, Jagger mockingly asked his audience if I could stick a knife in my heart, suicide right on the stage, would it be enough for your teenage lust? Would it help to ease the pain, ease your brain? I know it's only rock and roll, but I like it. Today's teens are much more sophisticated than the teens of Jagger's audience informed by animal rights, advocates, and environmentalism, today's youth would not indulge so readily in such shenanigans. Instead, many crave the extremes of extreme sports and extreme gaming, while also delighting in the immediacy of videos gone viral and their own participation in the virus. The Internet and social media have blurred the lines between public and private so that surfing the web privately can provide a simulated communal rock concert experience with a simple click. If Max Weber is to be believed, such rapid procurement of ever-evolving, often empty information should lead to disenchantment and isolation. But the internet has an appeal that continues to enchant, and popular culture Is feeding that appeal. Teenage lust has not been lost, only contained and able to be indulged in much more privately and with greater frequency. The medium that is technology of popular culture has evolved from Nickelodeon to vinyl to iPod and iPad. It has become more individualized. Where the subjectivism of therapeutic individualism left off, the Internet has picked up by providing the consumer of popular culture incredible control over when and how it is consumed. The choices are endless, and the technology so sophisticated and boundless in its reinvention, individualism, secularism, and materialism continue to drive pop culture, both in content and in the venues that it uses to transform social life. With today's technology, this transformation takes place in three ways. First, individualism thrives when devices are plugged in and earbuds and headphones tune out the world around. Second, when the world is tuned out and conversations are missed, the secular attitudes of live and let live and private moralities are more easily adopted. Third, and finally, popular culture's latest venues demand materialism by constantly producing better technology, thus outdating previous models. The consumerist model of constant turnover is a perfect metaphor for the usurping of authority that has been going on for the last century. As with Universal High School and the plethora of programs that followed society's expansion over the last century, adults have responded to the digital revolution in much the same way that adults have responded to youth culture since its inception. That is, an embrace of the technology and the separation and affluence that it requires. Separation of youth from the adult world affluence, and technology have once again converged in popular culture, making manifest individualism, secularism, and materialism, the threefold threat to the new evangelization according to Pope Benedict XVI. What are the implications of all of this on the new evangelization? Some trends like technology are like the mighty tide of civilization that cannot be stopped However, there are some ways to reduce the effects of individualism, secularism, and materialism in our time. Here are five suggestions. First, if, s- if expansion in the social structure has threatened family life by separating youth from parents for long periods of the day, parents and other loving adults can impose themselves back into those structures by being more present at schools sporting events, and the physical and virtual spaces where teens meet. Second, as evangelists, we can resist the urge to add yet another layer of bureaucracy to the lives of teens and instead put our energy, energies toward building relationships. The child of the uninvolved parent might benefit from a website, but would be better served by regular dinners with his or, her Catholic at his or her Catholic friend's house. Third, though ingrained in our culture, we can resist the tides of affluence and technology. By cultivating grateful hearts and reaching out to others, we can loosen the hold that materialism has in our own lives and in the lives of our teenagers. We can set boundaries on the technology in their lives and build relationships with the teens in our communities by asking questions and by taking an interest in their lives. Fourth, through watchdog and advocacy groups, we can be aware of the content of popular culture so as to critique and fight against its threats to decency while also praising and promoting its production of benign fun and real art. Fifth and finally, in the sea of quick and often vulgar representations that bombard our youth, we can create a refuge for them by ensuring that our churches and our liturgies are beautiful. As Ryan Topping observes, our skepticism and our cynicism in a postmodern world have left many in our culture cold to the apologist and even to the missionary of charity, but not to the artist. Amid the series of sensations that vie for the attention of our young people, the Catholic Mass could seem archaic and boring. However, over time, the juxtaposition of beauty and tradition against their hurried, overstimulated lives will make an impression, if not in the moment, possibly later, as a seed that calls them back to what they have longed for all along. In this way, the evangelist has an edge over pop culture. Where pop culture has to scream for attention, the evangelist only needs to minister truth and beauty. As Topping points out, Coca-Cola must create a need. The church need only satisfy one. The church has been meeting important needs for 20 centuries, despite the numerous obstacles of every age. Today's obstacles of individualism, secularism, and materialism in the United States are manifested in part in popular youth culture, which has grown out of the physical and social separation of young people coupled with affluence and an almost compulsive hunger for technology. As with any age, the Church, in her wisdom, has recognized the challenges of this new age, and has commissioned the new evangelization to minister, to preach, and to transform the culture. In essence, while the popular icon Coca-Cola may claim to be, quote, the real thing, furnishing homes with love and singing a song of harmony in in postmodern relativism, it is really only the Church and Christ whom she brings that can deliver on such a promise through her new evangelization. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.